Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. That is Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. I am your host, Sandra Flack. Thank you for joining us today for our 16th bonus episode in our series, What Every Adoptive and Foster Parent Needs to Know About, and we are covering trauma and FASD with our special guest, Dr. Jared Brown. He is helping us to tackle topics of importance for all of us foster, adoptive, and kinship caregivers. So grab a notebook and a pen, some paper. You are going to want to take notes. Uh, So feel free, pause right now, go grab something to write with and write on, and then come back and resume listening to the podcast or you know, just listen straight through. And then when you realize you want to take notes, you can listen a second time um, and and take notes then. Uh, We've, you know, we've got such good content. You will not want to miss a word that Dr. Brown is going to be saying. Um, And I have to say that these bonus episodes are among some of our most popular, uh, most downloaded episodes. So um, if you haven't caught all of them, this is the 16th one. We're going to do a series of 20 in all. Make sure you go back and listen. Regular episodes of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey drop in your inbox on Mondays. This series with Dr. Brown, these are bonus episodes that will be dropping on Fridays. Of course, you can listen anytime, uh, but that's when new ones will pop into your inbox, Mondays and Fridays. If you're not yet a subscriber to this podcast, I would sincerely, sincerely appreciate it if you would take a moment and subscribe and even leave a review. It really does make a huge impact because, you know, when you subscribe um, and leave reviews, it lets other folks who are searching for podcasts about adoption, about foster care, kinship care, and, and you know, th- those conversations that are relevant to that journey, it, it makes the podcast uh, pop to the top of the list when people are searching for those kind of things. And we believe that this podcast is a vital resource for all uh, of us on this parenting journey. So please take a moment and do that. Subscribe, even leave a review. Uh, we've got some uh, vital resources also and upcoming trainings for your parenting journey as well. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash FASD. And... 
coming up in early 2023, which is right around the corner. I'm amazed. I can't believe it. I know. I think I say that every year, but really it's right around the corner. Uh, so in 2023, we will be offering two online workshops, a free 45 minute lunch and learn. It's an introduction to FASD. That will be uh, on Wednesday, January 18th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And we are offering a three hour kind of like a deep dive into FASD or at least deeper than the lunch and learn. Um, we're going it's, to it's a facets um, workshop. We are going to focus on understanding and applying the facets uh, brain based model. Um, and so that three hour workshop is on Saturday. January 21st at 10 a.m. There is a registration uh, fee for the three hour. Uh, the lunch and learn is free. The three hour has a fee, um, but you have to register either for either one um, because that, that's how you would get the Zoom link in order to participate. So to register for either one, you would go to our website, justicefororphansny.org backslash events or just click on the event tab at the top of the page and it'll take you to all of the events that are going on, all of the trainings that we're currently offering. Um, and we've included a link to our website in the show notes for this episode so you can easily click there and find it. Now to our guest, uh, Dr. Jared Brown, PhD, is an assistant professor for Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota. Jared has also been employed with Pathways Counseling Center in St. Paul for the past 17 years. Pathways provides programs and services benefiting individuals impacted by mental illness and addictions. Jared is also the founder and CEO of the American Institute for the Advancement of Forensic Studies and the editor-in-chief of Forensic Scholars Today. Jared has completed four separate master's degree programs and holds graduate certificates in autism spectrum disorder, other health disabilities, and traumatic brain injuries. Jared is also certified as a young, a youth, sorry, a youth fire setting and prevention and intervention specialist, an anger resolution therapist, a thinking for a change facilitator, a fetal alcohol spectrum disorders trainer, an autism specialist, and a mental health integrative medicine provider. He just knows all the things about all the things, and he is going to take us to school on it today. So please welcome back Dr. Jared Brown. Hey, welcome back, Dr. Brown. Thanks for having me, Sandra. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. I'm just very excited about this episode because we're going to tackle something I'm not too familiar with technically, but I have a feeling maybe I maybe I've experienced this a little bit more than I realize. Um, our last episode together, you addressed the impact um, the consumption of sugary sweetened beverages has on the brain and the body, especially individuals with an FASD. Today, we're going to unpack a topic that many of us might not know much about, uh, myself included, and that is the HPA axis. Would you define what exactly is the HPA axis? It's one of the primary systems in our body that really 
are related to the physiological regulation of stress. So it's a stress regulator. It's a hormone regulator. It's part of our endocrine system. It really plays a critical role in our body's ability to kind of maintain homeostasis. So when we're under great deals of stress, trauma, adversity, hardship, our bodies can become out of whack, out of sync. That can throw off our digestion. That can throw off our our mood, our energy, our metabolism. It has a profound impact on our sleep health. It is very clear from the research that people that have had extensive traumas in utero or in early childhood probably have dysregulation of the HPA access at some point and some more than others. So it involves the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and adrenal access. It's all... They all work hand in hand. Sometimes people might have heard like of adrenal fatigue. It's really HPA access fatigue. So the hypothalamus, very important to obviously understand what that does. It regulates hormone production. It plays a role in body temperature, our appetite, our sleep, our emotions. The pituitary gland sometimes in the literature has been referred to as the master gland. And it's really at the center of our endocrine system. And then the adrenal glands are located just above the kidneys. And all of these things, when working properly, our bodies typically run better when things are not running properly as a result of stress or burnout or not getting a good night's sleep, whatever it is, it can really throw off this system. So it's very, very important to understand this. Having dysregulated, dysregulated attachment patterns have been thrown to shown this off, eating really unhealthy, being overweight, never exercising, being on the screen, all the things we've talked about in this series really can throw off this access. And I have learned so much about this topic the last handful of years, and it's really changed the way in which I train, I consult, and teach classes. You, We all hear about becoming trauma-informed. It is equally important to become HPA access-informed, especially if you're going to be trauma-informed, because if you're working with people that have extensive trauma histories, they probably have some dysregulation in its access. If you have adopted children and they're involved in the child welfare system, they have a high level of ACEs, they were in institutionalized settings, dealing with malnutrition, food insecurity, poverty, again, any kind of adversity has absolutely been shown to negatively impact this access. So the causes for dysfunction in this access, again, are many and varied, but just dealing with extensive trauma can throw this off. Someone growing up in a home where there's a lot of unpredictable or insensitive or inconsistent caregiving practices have been linked to more dysfunction in this access. Having more digestive health problems, having lack of vitamin D, chronic loneliness, overeating, Undereating, living in a homeless shelter, they've studied that within this context. Being the victim of bullying and teasing has been shown to impact this access. Exposures to not only drugs and alcohol in utero, but neurotoxins. So maybe some the mother was living in kind of a dilapidated living condition and was exposed to lead or mercury or some sort of other contaminants. Sleep deprivation, 
intimate partner violence, just dealing with tons and tons of stress can impact this access. When this access becomes dysregulated, it's been linked to having more allostatic load, so more premature aging of the body, more wear and tear in the body, higher levels of anxiety. Interestingly, it's been linked to having a higher level in some cases for more suspicious behavior. So really interesting there. This access is off. There's some research to point to the fact that we may be more suspicious. It's been linked to higher levels of attention problems, psychotic symptoms. It's been linked to higher levels of obesity, self-regulation issues, rumination. It can impair our memory. It's been linked to increases in inflammation. It's been shown to reduce stress resilience and contribute to having people feel more emotionally overwhelmed. And the list goes on and on and on. So I point out all these things because I'm assuming all of you who are listening to this can probably relate to some of these symptoms in terms of if you have a child with FASD or a child with special needs, there's a pretty good chance they probably deal with some level of HPA access dysregulation. This has been studied thousands of times over within the context of so many different disorders, but it's been shown to be higher in people diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, borderline personality disorder, ADHD, FASD, people with alcohol and drug problems, people with early neglect histories, children living in institutionalized settings, people with undiagnosed inflammation in the gastrointestinal tract, so maybe it's irritable bowel syndrome or food allergies, people with chronic fatigue syndrome, people with cardiovascular issues, joint problems, obesity issues. And it's also been linked with having more prefrontal cortex issues. So being aware of, again, the topic of executive function. Sandra, I'll stop for a second. Um, any thoughts on that? Oh, tons of thoughts on this. <laughs> um, gosh, where do I begin? Where do I begin? Um, yeah, I was going to ask you for the symptoms, um, but then you just kind of started giving, um, you started kind of giving that list of premature aging, high anxiety, high suspicious behavior, attention issues, self-regulation, all of that. So would those be symptoms of um, HPA access dysfunction? Well, I think the more of those someone has, if we start looking through a trauma lens, excellent but we if we also start looking through an hpa access lens just as important if we combine those two together i think we're going to be in a much better position to understand human behavior illness disease why people do the things they do and i'll give some tips and strategies in terms of what do we do about this in my experience i've, I've been in college for many years there was not one single class I've had in all of my degrees that really talked about this. I have a lot of degrees in like criminal justice, psychology, counseling, forensics. It's just not taught, and I don't know why that is. But as I started digging into this topic, I mean, it is linked to so many things, and it has been studied over and over and over and over again. So if you're working in the medical profession, learn about this. If you're an educator, if 
you're a caregiver, if you're a criminal justice professional, a counselor, social worker, if you learn about this, you're going to be in a much better position to, I think, understand why people do the things they do in some cases. Toxic stress has been studied a lot within this context. Again, toxic stress, very bad on the body. That contributes to more wear and tear. The reason why we have more wear and tear is because if that hormone regulator is off, the HPA access, it can throw off our whole body and it can relate to physiological dysregulation. And then that can contribute to eating problems, sleeping problems, the list goes on. Maternal HPA access reactivity during pregnancy has also been studied. So mom is pregnant and she's dealing with tons of stress. We know that's not good. All of those things can throw out the HPA access in herself. And then some research points to the fact that mother during pregnancy had this HPA access dysregulation. Children may be more likely to be dealing with increased levels of fear responses, more distress, more irritability, and more difficult behavior. So we need to be aware of prenatal exposure to HPA access dysregulation in the mom. Just as important as being aware was mom using drugs or alcohol or cigarettes or all those other things we spoke about in the prenatal trauma episode. So very, very interesting. Prenatal alcohol exposure, as I mentioned, I mean, there's countless studies on prenatal alcohol exposure. There is a handful of studies that have looked at prenatal alcohol exposure and how it can negatively impact that developing child's HPA access. So very, very, very interesting stuff. And it's not talked about, I think, in mainstream FASD trainings. Before I started becoming really knowledgeable about FASD. I went to every training I could ever do online in person. Not one time in any of those trainings did I ever hear any of those trainers talk about the HPA access. I encourage if you're an FASD trainer, learn about this and start infusing a couple slides into all your talks on this because it's a core issue. It's not a supplemental issue. It's a core, core issue that we, I think, need to be aware of. So I mentioned bullying, but any kind of victimization experience can dysregulate our physiological stress system, which then can throw off our hormones, aka our HPA access. Some research also points to the fact that racism and discrimination and marginalization and oppression can also negatively impact the HPA access. There are studies on that as well. Being aware, too, of some of the literature on intergenerational transmissions of trauma, there's actually something called intergenerational transmissions of health risk. And in that literature, sometimes they talk about HPA access dysregulation, which then goes to the heart of what I spoke about before. Mom has HPA access dysregulation during pregnancy. Those negative kinds of experiences, emotions, and hormones can be passed down to that child in utero and then contribute to more distress as that child's born. A couple studies have looked at this within the context of institutionalized deprived children. So children that grew up in an institutionalized setting for a period of time may be more likely to have HPA access dysregulation. This is a good time for me to talk about 
hypoactivity and hyperactivity. So we can have two things that go on. HPA axis dysfunction can throw it into hyperactivity, into overdrive. That can be problematic. Now let's think about a child who grew up in an institutionalized setting and there's a lot of neglect or maybe a lot of childhood abuse. Research points to the fact that that child, during all of that stress and trauma and adversity, their HPA access over a period of time can literally almost burn out and become very hypoaroused where they don't have a, a lot of activity. That can be very problematic as well. So they might have high levels of cortisol for hyperactivity and low levels of cortisol for hypoactivity. Cortisol is the main stress hormone related to the HPA access hormone. Cortisol is not a bad thing. We need it. It's very, very important. It plays a role in so many things, but too much or not enough can be very, very problematic. So a lot of things to think about there. My goodness. So I know I'm, I'm scribbling notes. I always tell everybody to get a notebook and I feel like I don't even have enough paper right here, but <laughs> because this is so intriguing to me because, you know, just for, for my, for me personally, my children, you know, four of my children were adopted internationally had all come out of um, the orphanage system, so an institution. The two youngest were there since birth. So they went from a hospital directly to the orphanage. One was there for three years, the first three years of his life, the other for the first five years of his life, both prenatally exposed to alcohol. And we can only imagine, right, what else was going on that mom was uh, enduring. So I've got to think this has to apply to my kiddos. Um, but how do you diagnose it? Can it be diagnosed? Is there like a test? How would you know like, oh, that's what that's what this is? Well, I think that's a great question. A lot of the literature related to testing and screening, I think really comes out of the functional medicine world, the functional nutrition. You can get tests for hormones. There's different tests for hormone panels, testing, cortisol, melatonin, there's other kinds of tests out there. Being aware of the red flag indicators. So everything you said, Sandra, regarding what in his history, I, I, I'm not going to diagnose, but all of those are risk factors and warning signs for HPA axis dysregulation. So if you look through an HPA axis lens and you were wrong and you find out down the road you were wrong, no big deal. There's nothing bad that can happen from becoming HP access informed and looking through that lens. And I'll talk about why that's the case. So testing for hormone levels, looking at the way in which someone eats, looking at how they manage their energy, their sleep patterns. These are things that you're starting to look at kind of red flag indicators. If their gut is off, digestive health issues, there's a pretty good chance that their HPA access is off. If they use drugs and alcohol or consume high levels of caffeine or sugar or tobacco products, there's a pretty good chance that this access is off in some capacity. There's a couple studies that look at the impact that the Western diet has on HPA access functioning. So if someone just relies on a highly processed Westernized diet, 
pretty good chance that they probably have some dysfunction in this access. couple studies have also looked at what aspartame does. Aspartame is in diet soda. Some of the research points to the fact that aspartame can stimulate and increase the level of cortisol that's being produced in our body, which can sometimes throw off the HPA access. Type 2 diabetes and blood sugar dysregulation has been linked to this. Insomnia, sleep apnea, circadian rhythm misalignment, tons of trauma, obesity, all of these things. But if you start looking through a screening lens, this is a big topic. I'll just point out a few. When you look at the screening literature on HP access functioning, they talk a lot about nutrition. They talk a lot about abuse history. Head trauma has been linked to this. Emotional dysregulation, emotional eating, executive dysfunction, extreme daytime fatigue, high, high levels of irritability, becoming extremely easily overwhelmed having very low levels of resilience. These are all red flag indicators. By no means does a red flag indicator mean that someone has this, but the more of these things going on, if you look through this lens, definitely something to be aware of. Parental mental health issues, being aware of neglect histories, metabolic dysfunction, so high cholesterol, someone that's dealing with obesity problems, blood sugar dysregulation, socioeconomic disadvantage, so someone that grows up in poverty or homelessness, living a sedentary lifestyle. These are all things that have been shown to negatively impact this. Lack of caregiver attunement and support has been linked to higher levels of HPA access functioning. Higher levels of attunement, attachment, empathy have been linked to helping this system become more regulated. So very, very important. Inter here, here's something that might blow your mind. It blew my mind when I learned about this. Noise exposure may impact HPA access functioning. So if someone lives very close to a busy interstate or freeway or an airport, and they're getting a lot of external noise, that can maybe impact the HPA access. So being aware of noise exposure Couple, actually, quite a few studies that look at noise exposure as an amplifier for stress and poor health outcomes. So, just really being aware of noise, I think, is is really, really fascinating. Before I move into interventions, uh, any any other thoughts or comments? Yeah, I guess I'm just really intrigued because I was going to initially ask you why is it important for those of us adopted, foster, or kinship caregivers to be aware of and understand H the HPA access. But obviously with everything you just unpacked, um, we now know why it's important because it could be highly prevalent among our children. So um, I guess, so how, how, would it, how would it present in the day-to-day? -day? Like um, what would be things that parents, I mean, I know you gave us a, a big list here, but what would be some things in the day-to-day that, that we, we could be looking at that would say, okay, maybe we should seek out having some of this testing done, the hormone testing and, and the cortisol and all of that. Like what, what would we be seeing that would tell us we should probably pay attention to this? If you have a child who has FASD, pay attention to it. If you have a child who has attachment disorders, 
or serious mental health issues or extensive trauma histories, absolutely pay attention to this. If you have a child or an adult who has a long history of externalizing behavioral problems, so high levels of irritability, yelling, screaming, swearing, rage control issues, emotional dysregulation, pay attention to this. There's some studies that also show that impaired social behavior may be linked to higher levels of dysfunction in this and vice versa. Tons of sleep issues, be on the lookout for this. Diabetes, be on the lookout. Long histories of blood sugar dysregulation, poor eating habits, again, all these things. I mean, I think we can all relate to this. I'm pretty convinced that I, I probably have this. Absolutely, I, I really do. I was teased a ton back in third, fourth, and fifth grade, and I know that that did some... I wouldn't. I don't know if I want to use the word damage, but it's more sensitive. So I can be more sensitive to stress and not getting sleep. So I really need to be aware of that. I can just feel dysregulation in my body. So I think we all have this on some level. If we're dealing with a high level of burnout, stress, worry, grief, and loss issues, uncertainty. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure we all have dysregulation in this at some point. Now, some people can have actual damage to this system because of in utero trauma or other things but we want to be aware of our own triggers be aware of what our body's telling us if you notice that you are starting to get really warm in your body or tensed up and you're on the screen all night long get off the screen for 24 hours see what happens i i do it all the time my body becomes regulated i feel just fine again just know your triggers. These kind of things can be so, so, so helpful. So these are, I mean, there's a high likelihood, again, if you have a child that's had extensive trauma, they probably have something going on with this access that can become more sensitive to stress, more sensitive to confrontation, loud noises, things like that, getting bullied and teased. They could be even more sensitive than others to being on the screen for extended periods of time. So does that help or yes. create a little more confusion? No, that, that's wonderful. So then I guess my, my last question would be, what do we do? So as a parent, a caregiver, if we're suspecting, gosh, this this could may be very may very well be the thing, right? I think I need to have some testing done. This is resonating when it comes to my children. What do we do as parents and caregivers? How do we help? Um, yeah, what do we do? Give us some some next steps. So it's, it's not the only thing. I mean, it's a big part. And this is just where I'm at today, but this is a big part. Everything I share right now, again, is not medical advice. Talk to your healthcare provider, just general things from the literature exercise again most of this stuff we've talked about a million times in this series getting exercise moving not living a sedentary lifestyle yoga has been shown to help reduce morning cortisol levels and help improve mood and mental focus and may increase melatonin levels at night so yoga deep breathing has been shown to lower blood pressure calm and relax the mind. It may actually help improve digestive health functioning and increase energy. The list goes on. Music-based interventions have actually been shown in the HPA access literature to be helpful. So maybe it's working with a music therapist. 
mindfulness meditation has been studied in the HPA access literature. There, if I know of one study, maybe more, that talks about chewing your food more may be a helpful intervention for this. Some people who are just fast eaters, that can be problematic. Slow down from being mindful eaters. Work with a nutritionist. Anything we can do to reduce inflammation is a good thing. Reducing loneliness, promoting resilience, gratitude, optimism, journaling, self-compassion. All of these things have been talked about in this literature. Spending time in nature. So if someone is always inside on the screen, getting out in nature, being around animals, getting better sleep, learning how to cultivate a growth mindset. Volunteering has been shown to be helpful. Taking up a hobby, joining a positive support group, developing more self-awareness and insight, having a sense of belonging and purpose can be very, very helpful. Setting limits so people that just struggle with taking on everything and just run themselves ragged, that is not good. So creating more balance, promoting more organizational abilities, getting rid of clutter in your house, keeping things clean and organized, avoiding alcohol, reducing sugar intake, deep tissue massage, just getting a massage has been shown to be helpful, finding some quiet time every day going to a therapist, reducing caffeine, resolving conflict, promoting internal locus of control, and the list goes on and on and on. These are just some of the things that have been talked about in this literature. And a lot of these are things we've talked about in the series, but just good reminders of if we can live a healthy, well-balanced life that supports brain health, body health, gut health, sleep health, nutritional health, you can't go wrong. Yes. And it all makes so much sense when we have this conversation and we start talking about these things and we really pay attention because uh, I've seen I've seen where, you know, I talk a lot about how my family spends a lot of time in the Adirondacks and it's so good for my youngest son because we're in nature. We're in a quieter, slower pace place and it seems to be so therapeutic for him. So, so many, I, I, we could talk for hours, I'm sure, about this, but I know we don't have that much time. Um, the HPA access, such an interesting topic, Dr. Brown. Thank you yet again for educating us on what we need to know as parents and caregivers. Um, I know next time I'm looking forward to our conversation, we're going to be discussing alexithymia, which is also somewhat of a new one for me. Um, so we look forward to that. Thanks so much again, Dr. Brown, for sharing with us. You're welcome, my friend. Thank you. Wow. I just found that to be so interesting. And I, I hope that you did too. And Dr. Brown did say that if we were interested, um, he recommended just Googling FASD and the HPA axis, and we would find the articles and research specific to that. So feel free to do that. Um, and again, thank you for joining us today for this special series with Dr. Brown. Be sure to uh, join us next time when we talk about alexithymia, which is when a person has difficulty identifying and expressing emotions. Um, while not a mental health disorder, 
people with alexithymia do have problems maintaining relationships and taking part in social situations. So well, while, the, while the term alexithymia is sort of new to me, the relationship and social problem part, you know, that applies to many of our kids with trauma histories and FASD. Um, so I'm sure that our next bonus episode with uh, Dr. Brown is going to be very helpful, very eye-opening and educating. So you're not going to want to miss that episode when we dive into alexithymia. Remember, our regular episodes drop on Mondays and throughout the month of December, all of the Monday episodes are focusing around Advent um, and then and just Advent and bringing encouragement to parents and caregivers um, at the same time, you know, kind of just weave it all together. Um, this this uh, first Monday of December, uh, the, the topic was Advent and hope. Um, and I know that hope is something that we all need because we all have, um, you know, ups and downs and struggles with our with our kiddos and our families. So um, I think you'll find that episode to be super encouraging. Um, and then on Fridays, these bonus episodes drop. Of course, they all land in the same place. You can listen to them anytime you want. But that's when you can anticipate new episodes, Mondays and then these bonus episodes on Fridays. If you enjoyed the show. Please be sure to let your fellow adoptive and fostering friends know so they can listen and be encouraged and equipped too. And don't forget to subscribe. We also offer resources and support to parents and caregivers struggling along this parenting journey. Be sure to check out all of our FASD resources, the free lunch and learn workshop, our facets three hour workshop coming up in January um, and our other trainings. You can learn more about all of that and register at justicefororphansny.org. Um, hope you'll check out my book where I tell um, the story of how all of my five adopted children came home and what that journey has been like. Uh, and that's in my award-winning book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. Uh, it's available wherever you like to get your books. If you order it on Amazon, you can get the paperback or the Kindle version. After you read it, please do me a favor and leave a review. If you'd like a signed copy with a special gift bookmark, you can go to my website, sandraflack.com, um, where you can grab one there and read my blog and find out more about me. Um, and I always like to give a shout out to our business sponsors, uh, Trinuclear Corporation, Bishop Boundary Construction, National Bank of Kuksaki, and Coleman Insurance Agency. These businesses care about children and families in crisis, and they help us do what we do at JFO. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. You can also find me, Sandra Flack, on both platforms as well. And I am so grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.